This week on the podcast, I have two extra special guests. I know, right? Jessica McIntyre and Natalie Moores are the co-founders of a fantastic communications agency called Mac and Moore. Initially, I told them, hey, Agency Deal Masters was really a one guest per episode kind of show. And they were like, Nathan, we come as a pair. Trust us. It's going to be great. And I'm glad I decided to break that rule because this was just such a fun and interesting conversation. I just learned so much. Where do I start? Um, in 2016, on the back of the doom and gloom of Trump and Brexit, remember that, they really wanted to see a change in the world. So they set up the agency. Um, they were in-house at agencies before. They worked at a tech startup that failed. And at that point, they decided to join forces and and do something just a little bit different. Um, about three quarters of the way into the interview, Jess quotes an author who says, I'm completely happy when my brain, heart, and gut align. And I think you'll you'll really hear that come through in their stories. They truly live their purpose and they've built an amazing business off the back of it. We discuss everything from what profit and purpose actually means, how to get purpose right, Black Lives Matter, why female founders need to be more resilient than their male counterparts, uh, launching a business in the choppy waters of 2016. Although 2016 seems really calm and uneventful by 2020 standards. If you are even remotely interested in anything to do with making the world a better place, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Natalie Moores and Jessica McIntyre. Jessica McIntyre and Natalie Moores are the co-founders of Mac and Moore, an innovative communication consultancy who combine the science and magic of marketing to create a positive impact. They were founded on the belief that great business can be both profitable and do good in the world, but without the right marketing communications, they can't do either. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Jess and Nat, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, this is the first time we're hosting two guests on the show. What what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I'll just say that you should look out for the southern one, aka Jess, the northern one, aka I'm the northern Nat. one, aka me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fantastic, fantastic, great to have you both on the uh, on the show. You you work with both large businesses looking to drive forward innovation, sustainability, and DNI initiatives, and also startups disrupting the status quo and creating a force for good via a new product or service that they're offering into the world. You also work with uh, social enterprises and NGOs. Tell us the story of how Mac and More came to be. Well, we uh, set up our business in 2016, which I think looking back on it now seems like a very bizarre time to be setting up a business. Hmm. Um, obviously, the world at that stage was in real kind of um, a real stage of transition, change um, for better or worse. You know, we had Brexit, Trump, Me Too movement really started gaining mm-hmm. traction. There, there was so much going on. Um, and I think it felt like a real pivotal time where the way that things had always been done, actually, we didn't feel as bound to that anymore because so many things were changing. Um, so Jess and I actually met working for a startup. Um, we worked together for a really short period of time, uh, only a few months before the startup actually went into administration. And during that time, we realized that we really kind of complemented each other's working styles. We complemented each other's skill sets. And also we got on really well and mm, um, we had that, helps. Kind of, that does help definitely um especially i think when yeah we weren't kind of friends for for years and years and years coming into it we were kind of mm. colleagues um and we we just made a decision that actually this it, it felt like a real opportunity to take some time um to, to really try something a bit different and mm. I think we we felt as though setting up on our own and, and creating something that wasn't a traditional agency it wasn't necessarily something that had been done before and mm. it would give us that freedom and that opportunity to work with the people we wanted to work on the work that we felt was going to be really powerful and you know create um help to enable certain businesses to really you know create positive impact mm. 
Really, really fascinating. I'm, I'm taking this from your from your website now, but you say that you don't work with people who are not open minded, people who don't support and nurture equality within the workplace, uh, backwards ways of working, i.e., processes over people, businesses who don't claim responsibility for their environmental, societal, and cultural impact. Who is an ideal client for Mac and More? Wow, it's a big question. Um, I think that it all goes back to that age-old saying that people buy people. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we state that is that we want to just be really overt about the type of people that we're looking to work with. Um, it's very easy to see these incredible businesses with their shiny marketing communications out there and branding. And then when you meet the team or you get below the surface, you realise that something's not quite right or that it's been built in a way that feels that it hasn't been done with integrity and it's not thinking about its culture, its purpose and what it's providing to the end consumer. So we put that in place in order to make sure that when we had these initial early conversations with prospective clients, we were asking them the right questions about things we care about and also seeing that they matched us in terms of our values and the way that we we saw business. Mm-hmm. So an ideal client doesn't have to be the coolest startup, you know, on the block doing really cool things um, mm-hmm. with, a, you know, that cool tech founder that you see mm. um, on Instagram posting. Right. It's just got to be somebody who has a higher purpose than themselves, um, is somebody who feels really connected to their team and has a really big vision about how their business can help change society for the better. Hmm. Really, really interesting. So, so let's talk about purpose then, because uh, on your website and on your LinkedIn profile, which I've been stalking for the last few weeks now, <laughs> uh, you you talk a lot about purpose. But what does perfect, what does profit and purpose actually mean in in reality? How can businesses be both profitable and put purpose forefront? I I think that this is a really interesting and exciting um, transition that businesses are are kind of making at the moment. Sort of historically, I think that business equated to profit as a priority. And I think that social enterprise, NGO, charities, uh, you know, were very purpose driven. And and that was the way that the the two sides divided. And um, Jess and I kind of came across this really interesting concept of a zebra business recently, or Mm -hmm. fairly recently. And it's kind of as opposed to a unicorn business. So a zebra business is both black and white, it's profit and purpose, and the two things are balanced um, equally. So rather than having a business which is solely driven on profit and you have maybe your CSR initiatives that um, have kind of been built into either Mm. bolster your brand or they're because something that you you genuinely are interested in with with true and and real um, impactful brand purpose I think the brand has to take on some of the responsibility for whatever that purpose is and they have to, you know, through their decision making, um, make sure that one isn't sacrificed for the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that the outcome of that potentially is that that real change can happen. Because if you are a self-sustaining, profitable business, but with the, the mindset and the attitude that you are also really trying to, whether that is directly through your product or service that's solving a problem for the world, or whether it's through kind of supporting another initiative um, through the work that you do that feels like a, a complementary fit, um, I think that you know, you're, you're much more likely to be able to create that change because you're not kind of relying on donations or grants or, or funding mm. charity um and it's not something that if if you are a profit-driven business but really you need to like stay with the profit as a priority because otherwise your um bottom line is going to suffer and, and mm. it's not going to work and that could just go out the window then I think that that's a real um it's it, you know it, the, the two things have to be balanced and the two things have to play a part of the decision making well, well, let's talk about some examples of of what this looks like because a few years ago, um, Tom's Shoes was one of the standout examples of businesses that were profit driven and purpose driven at the same time. Those are the guys that uh, sold uh, that did the one for one campaign, or yeah. they founded the business on that idea. You know, you buy a pair of shoes and we'll give a, a pair of shoes away for free, and that really sort of caught fire. People really 
uh, got on board with that because they wanted to sort of alleviate uh, poverty in the world, especially in, in sort of South America, where a lot of children didn't have shoes. Since then, we've seen a lot of other businesses jump on the bandwagon and maybe not be as authentic in their understanding or their intentions of purpose, but they've used purpose as a way of, uh, it's popular and topical nowadays to drive revenue. Um, and that's left a lot of people thinking that, feeling quite cynical about businesses who are purpose-driven and also have a profit motive as well. So talk a little bit about how you work, how you decide which organizations to work with, whether they're the ones that actually dr truly have purpose front and center, or whether they are solely using it for commercial purposes. And I think there's, there's a good reason why people have been cynical. And, you know, you've seen marketing sort of gurus like um, Mark Ritson talk about brand purpose and sort of sometimes put it down to us millennials and sort of Gen Z's getting on our high horse and and then mm. not really showing any of the kind of actions behind these words. And I think it is important that we are, you know, as marketers held accountable to that. So we've got a lot of work to prove that brand purpose is really important and actually doing the work that it's supposed to be. Um, I guess there's a few points from my perspective. Um, from working with businesses, it always starts with the leadership team. So it's very difficult to drive forward change if the leadership team are not truly on board and bought in. So what's that experience of that business's culture, values and ways of working? Are the leaders listening and learning? Do they actually want to be a part of the change? And mm -hmm. is that reflective in their actions? And are they really listening to what their audience want? Have they, you know, got in touch with their customers and gone, listen, what is important to you? Um, following on from that is about proof points and that accountability again. So it's all very good. And we've seen this. It's very topical at the moment. But a lot of brands um, to do with the Black Lives Matter movement writing a list of actions that they're going to be mm. held accountable for. Now it's going to take time for us to be able to see if they have been held for account and what positive change they have. But it does start by putting a roadmap in place and being held accountable for it. Mm. Um, radical transparency is hugely important. Um, again, brand purpose isn't just like one subject matter, say like racism. It's also got to be sustainability, workers' rights, inclusivity. Um, so you have to look at the whole business and and really kind of rigorously go through um, every single department and really think about what changes you're going to make and also be transparent to your stakeholders. Mm. And finally, for marketers, I think brands rely on storytelling. So if you haven't got an inclusive team and mindset, then I would question how are you telling the right stories that that have that real purpose behind that. Um, when a brand gets their messaging and creative right, they should challenge stereotypes and drive compassion with other people's experiences. Um, and if you don't do that, then you can look at past work, say like Pepsi, where they completely missed the marks with their advertising campaign they did with Kendall Jenner. And mm. that can have really negative effects and quite rightly so. Mm. I would imagine that it's much easier for a founding business, say a tech startup or a Tom Shoes who starts their business with purpose from the beginning. It's it's part of the founding story and the narrative. But for larger businesses like Pepsi, IBM, I'm just I'm just uh, pulling some large businesses out of, out of the air who um, maybe maybe they haven't started with that intention. Let's even talk about a less sexier sort of business, like a manufacturing business, let's say, but they're large. But they realize and they recognize the fact that they, they they should be adding some value in the world and they should be adding purpose into their into the way that they're running their businesses. I would imagine that that's much harder for an established business that already has legacy and infrastructure and established culture to then reorient their business around purpose. No, it 100% is. And I actually think that some businesses, it will be interesting to see if they actually have really shaky foundations and whether they they mm. actually can survive um with a purpose um i think that would be very interesting to see and only time will tell but then you see big corporations like unilever who really have worked hard to be able to 
change across the board and and they have certain um guidelines and, and manifesto that they drive forward um that's especially aligned with the un so i do think that change will be slower but that doesn't mean that it's not important to be accountable and take action and i don't know mm. Nat, if you've got anything to add to that as well yeah i think that as well it's kind of for those businesses who maybe are now opening their eyes and, and really feeling as though for genuine reasons um, they want to have more purpose within their work. I think that um, an important thing to remember is that not everyone can do everything, but everyone can do something. Hmm. And I think that if, um, say like you were saying about a manufacturing business, you know, what feels authentic, what feels feasible, what feels kind of um, something that you take a genuine passion and interest in as well as uh, seeing the potential benefits to the broader society. If, I think if, if every single business, you know, took that huge to-do list that we have for the world mm-hmm. and took one of those things and said, you know what, we're going to focus on this and we're going to do this really well, we would get so much more done. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Well, well, give us, give us an example then. Um, if, let's say, for example, you're starting out with a new client that, that really wants to get started using purpose in as part of their core business offering or the way that they operate in the world, how should they start thinking about it? I think that start big and think of that vision. Um, where do you see your business going and what impact do you see it having? And then work back from that. And that allows you to sort of create a blueprint of work or a roadmap that will allow you to see how you can move the dial forward in the way that you want. Um, as a strategist, it's, there's no point, I always say this to clients, um, not having a vision of where you're going or a roadmap. How, how are you going to get there? Um, you need to know where you're going. So I think that allows people to take a step back and kind of see that bigger picture. So that would be a starting point. And then again, it just goes back to that accountability. Um, do things that you feel you can honestly do. Don't just pay lip service. If if mm. they're things that are going to take time, be honest about that. I think people are far more forgiving if you're just honest and transparent, as opposed to, you know, sort of blanket promises that you can't fulfill or live up to. Well, that, that taking time thing, I think, is a really important consideration because a lot of these businesses especially the larger ones are run on quarterly uh, cycles that they have, (laughs) they need to hit targets every quarter. Otherwise they'll have uh, strong answers, uh, strong questions to answer. How do you balance the intention and the willingness to drive purpose, even though we, we may not see the fruits of that purpose for 12, 18 months, two years longer sometimes, with the imperatives of uh, driving quarterly numbers? I I think the first thing that I would say is that it's a mindset shift. As Nat explained earlier, you have to get around the fact that you can have profit and purpose, but Mm. you do have to review how your business is built and, and what you're looking to achieve. So you just have to switch that mindset, not just to be revenue targets numbers, because... A, that just drives a culture and a workforce that's just constantly about productivity, achieving the next goal, as opposed to just really thinking about that sort of meaningful exchange that an employee and employer should be having. And again, as much as millennials and sort of Gen Z are given a hard time, they want to do a job that has meaning and purpose behind it. So Mm. you're going to have a workforce that's actually going to work harder um, mm-hmm. In fact, we've seen that with the the pandemic. Actually, you know, for a long time, the people have been like, "Flexible working won't work. People are lazy. They'll just be selfish. Mm-hmm. They'll be go out for walks or, mm-hmm. you know, drinking mm-hmm. wine." Um, obviously, on Netflix, on Netflix all day. On Netflix all day. And so far, people have actually been working harder. They've been more sure. productive. Um, and agencies sure. and businesses are suddenly like, "Wow, this works!" Even so much that Facebook are like. Do you know what? Yeah. All employees, you're going to stay at home from now on. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible, really. So it really is a, mi- a mindset shift is absolutely crucial, I think. Um, just just try and believe it. Um, it's easy to be cynical these days, but um, just, just try and think about how you want that world to look like and what's mm. the part you can play in it. 
So final couple of questions on this and, and then we'll move on to your your story. Um, but we're seeing more and more brands taking more sort of moral and political positions recently. When, when it comes to things like inequality in the workplace, uh, environmental issues, Black Lives Matter, um, et cetera, um, and we never used to really see that before from especially large organizations like Apple, uh, for instance, Nike, I guess, have always been, uh, have always had uh, something to say. But more and more, we're seeing organizations that never really used to get involved in these sort of conversations uh, now being quite vocal. Um, what's prompted so many brands to take purpose so much more seriously in the in the last 12, 18 months or so? Well, I would love to think that it's been some sort of, you know, really virtuous moral awakening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that we were just talking about not being cynical, but I really yeah. think actually, for better or for worse, it's because they 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 don't have a choice now. I think that the mm. the longevity and um, the long term memory that something like social media creates, where you know, this isn't ever just a flash in the pan statement and you kind of think back to brands and you go, hang on, did they say something on that? Did they not? I can't remember. I, I you know, I, I can't think mm. of what they did or what they didn't do. Everything is so permanent now from a, from a grid on Instagram to, you know, every article that's ever been written about you searchable online two years later and you can be completely um, held to account over something that you've not done. I think that now it, it really isn't necessarily so much of a choice and I find that really interesting in terms of um, the role that that business plays in society, because, you know, back in the day, businesses were one of the, the major institutions that we have in, in civilization, but they mm -hmm. never really had a responsibility beyond their own interest. And mm. now I think that, you know, a combination of Gen Z workers and millennial workers taking a real interest in in the work that they do and wanting to feel that the career that they choose has a, a, a social impact or, or, or some sort of kind of benefit um, beyond simply clocking in and clocking out. And also your consumers. Um, mm. I think consumers now, brand loyalty is a very different thing than it used to be where you know, you'd go to Marks and Spencer's or BHS because it was the shop that was closest to you where you lived and, and mm. didn't really think about what they contributed to, you know, their workers' rights or where their clothing came from or, or that. Mm -hmm. kind of thing. You, you just, you were loyal to them because that was your only option. Mm. Whereas now brand loyalty, I think, is really fickle and, and you can, um, it's, it's very hard to gain and it's very easy to break so I think that brands are now definitely taking more of a vested interest um and you know I think that actually that's hopefully only going to continue to to become more mm. um, important and mm. you can see it with sort of the Black Lives Matter movement you know you've got on the one hand brands like Ben and Jerry's who have been really celebrated for the fact that it's not what they're doing right now in response to the events that have happened. It's that the work that they have chosen to do when no one was really celebrating them for it or kind of um, using it as a reason to buy their ice cream necessarily. Um, things like, you know, using um, a bakery where uh, ex-cons and people with criminal convictions sure. are hired to create the products. You know, they, they've chosen to do that at probably a greater cost to them than it would have been to mass-produce brownies in some warehouse <laughs> somewhere. Sure, um, definitely. But, you know, that's a commitment that they made. So you've got mm. brands on that side of the coin, like Ben & Jerry's, who are now kind of being celebrated of going, oh, look, do you know what, like, that clearly meant a lot to you and you've done something that you can really stand by versus mm. other brands where they maybe posted a black square on their Instagram feed to be part of that conversation and have now maybe deleted it and just kind of pretended it didn't happen. Or mm. they've gone back to posting models. Um, I know sort of uh, some of the fast fashion labels like Boohoo and Misguided have, have come under fire a little bit for kind of going, well, if you scroll back through their Instagram feeds, you know, it's it's all blonde, white. I see. Um, so mm. it's, you know, I think you, you have to kind of decide where you're going to take a position on. And, and mm. it would be unfortunate if brands are only doing this now because they feel like they've got an arm yeah. tied behind their back. But if that's yeah. what it takes to get the change, then I don't know, mm. maybe that's okay. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I heard something recently on the podcast, some advice to brands was, you know, 
have you spoken about this before this issue, i.e. Black Lives Matter, etc.? And will you be talking about this after uh, the initial sort of heat dies down? Because usually there is this sort of moment of two or three weeks where we all get really passionate and animated and then things tend to go back to normal and life carries on. Will they be continuing uh, their efforts after this has passed? And were they talking about this before this issue? And I think to your point with Boohoo, that's that's something that's uh, that that you've rightly sort of highlighted yeah. uh, that I think a lot of brands should be um, should be looking at. Um, let Let's talk about the the fact that you are obviously a, a purpose orientated marketing agency, as as much as you'd love to be the only purpose orientated marketing agency on the marketplace. There are others uh, around. Um, what makes you different, special, stand out? Um, well. <laughs> That, that No, I think I was having a think about this and I actually came across an amazing quote um, the other day by a woman called Alice Zagary, who is an entrepreneur. And she said, I'm truly happy when my brain, heart and gut are aligned. And mm. we completely buy into that way of thinking and working. It is just the two of us. Um, we're a consultancy that works with a whole different host of freelancers dependent on each different project. Um, and actually... Part of the reason why we set up was to be in control of our decision making and who we work with, rather than being told to work on a project that really felt like, oh, this this actually doesn't align with our values. This doesn't make us feel good. This this client isn't treating us with the respect that we deserve. So when we're able to meet founders or you know marketers within bigger businesses, where we're able to have that brain, heart, and gut aligned, that's truly incredible. And I think number two is that we we care. Sounds like a really, you know, basic thing there. But um, I remember you'd be surprised. (laughs) And I think um, I remember actually being in a networking event and talking to another marketing consultant. And and he was just mansplaining to me about all the things that (laughs) we were doing wrong. And he was just like, you know what your biggest problem is? You care too much. And I walked (laughs) away thinking, gosh, maybe we do. Maybe we just invest too much energy. And blah 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 and then I was like actually no that yeah that is what makes us special like when you're supposed to you're supposed yeah. to when a team hires us they know they're going to get 100% they know that we're mm. going to be rooting for them that we're going to be passionate about the project and we're going to do the best work possible um it's not just a tick box paycheck for us we, we really want to be a part of of that work and that team um and number three we're just quite lucky that we're quite personable and communicate well. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Nat is... Uh, understatement. That's a huge understatement. <laughs> and Nat is very, very articulate. So mm. she um, is a poet as well as a marketer mm-hmm. and is a brilliant um, natural communicator, always on podcasts. It's always just me. I always feel like I'm sort of garbling on after she talks. But um, no, we're, we're both just, we're both just ourselves. We bring our full yeah. selves to work and, and we can just, you know, communicate well and, and, and don't underestimate yeah. that, especially seeing as we're in the world of communications. It's pretty important. 100%. It, Jess, you're a WACL future leader, 2020 winner. The WACL is an industry leading networking organization that brings together the most senior female leaders in marketing communications. Tell us a little bit more about the purpose of the, of the organization and what is your involvement? Yeah, so um, WACL, as it's called, Women in Advertising and Communications, um, they were set up as still only 36% of leadership positions are held by women, despite women accounting for 50% of all employees. Um And they really want to accelerate gender equality in media, marketing and communications and reward future female talent. So I applied at the end of last year um, thinking, you know, we're kind of outside of the industry here. We don't work for a big WPP agency and Mm. we're kind of small fry, but I'm just going to give this a go Um, (laughs) and sort of pitch what we have been doing at Macamore for the last four years. Um, I think about 12 of the case studies that we've worked on have been female founders um, across the board, all different types of businesses. Um, And we also talked about all of our um, 
podcasts and writing that we do that that pushes forward um, gender equality and also looks at you know brand purpose as a whole and so I was delighted to be able to be accepted alongside some other incredible women and we're now a part of a networking group um, and that is brilliant because it's actually I think about six or seven years worth of winners all on a WhatsApp group and a LinkedIn group and we're able to support each other there's mentoring um, there's exchange of knowledge advice and I can't tell you how valuable that is especially when you're working remotely especially during really difficult times um, that this pandemic's presented to have Mm. other women who are like-minded pushing forward really positive change you feel like you're not alone in what you're doing Mm. Mm. super super fascinating so so just on that then and and final question before we get into our favorite questions towards the end of the interview even though we've seen a lot of progress recent recently in representation of women and minorities at the highest levels in leadership um the 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 levels and representation is still sadly lacking it's still far below where it should be uh, is the industry doing enough and what more can be done i think there's always more that can be done um and i think that you know more more needs to be done even i read something the other day about um obviously we've we've heard all the sort of depressing statistics around the number of years that it's going to take to achieve gender equality um, and that obviously doesn't even kind of take into account the intersects of race and gender and sexuality and, and disability um, that play that play a huge role in in these kind of conversations and in and need to be pulled to the forefront um, but actually even just due to the pandemic over the last three months we've been set back another 30 years and mm. you know it, it's it's actually fascinating to me how how quickly that gap can can widen again what you know mm. despite the fact that certain individuals ha- have been doing and are doing such such brilliant work um so yeah it's it's absolutely not all doom and gloom no, no matter how much um it might feel like it because there are some amazing initiatives out there and there are some people who really do believe and male allies as well i think this is the this is the big one you know the the way that the working world has been set up historically is to suit the the patriarchal structure so you know white male cisgendered able-bodied men that's that's who's been making the decisions since the dawn of time and and kind of continue to dominate those structures because they've been created for that that person um so that's not to say that that men who fit that description are contributing to that problem but it's just that those systems have been designed by and for those people um Mm. and I think that really acknowledging that is one of the big steps in trying to change it because um if if creating change in a system means that the system won't necessarily serve you as well as it has done before then that requires sacrifice and compromise and I think particularly the conversations around Black Lives Matter at the moment you know and and being white women like we we've had to have these conversations as well going like what are we prepared to give up what are we prepared mm. to compromise on and sacrifice in order to to create the change we need to see um and i think that you know again just challenging those thought processes because certain things you don't really question until you're made aware of them so sure. i know that even a, a, a random example is um the 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 orchestra i can't remember which i think it was maybe the new york symphony orchestra some huge really well-established orchestra um that had always kind of hired uh, male musicians and mm-hmm. said, look we do these auditions we have 50 50 you know men and women coming to these auditions um but the, the male musicians are just better so we're hiring them based on merit and mm-hmm. the quality of the, mu- the music that they're playing and ability Mm-hmm. And they did an experiment where they changed all of the auditions to blind auditions. So you literally mm-hmm. can only hear the music rather than see the person. And the change that that's created in terms of the gender diversity now within this particular orchestra, it's like now 50 mm-hmm. um, Unconscious it was, it was bias. Unconscious bias, exactly. So I think mm-hmm. it's, that's the thing, you know, not all of this is intentional. It's not all malicious. It's not all calculated. Um, mm-hmm. But it is there. And I think mm. that we just can't need to constantly challenge and we need to constantly, um, you know, step outside of our own bubbles and our own echo chambers and speak to different people and find out about their experiences and work out what we might be able to do to, to you know, create 
the change that we need to see. That's right. Sometimes we can't see our own blind spots. Absolutely. Let's get into our favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. I have no idea how we're going to do this because this is the first time that we've done this with two people. Uh, so let's let's see. Either hmm, I'm thinking, either I can ask you the question and you can both uh, share the answer, or maybe you can take it in turns. I'll let you decide. Uh, so I'll ask the question and uh, let's see. You know, let's see what you decide. So the first question is: Tell us about a time when you failed. And what you learn from the experience. Go on, Nat, you go first and I'll follow you. <laughs> okay, well, there's definitely going to be some pauses, Nathan. I apologize before. Okay, it's fine. While I actually think about this, um, <laughs> tell me about a time where you felt. Well, actually, I think that um, in that case, I can talk about the fact that. So within the business, I handle a lot of, well, most of the, the content, copywriting, um, creative content uh, development. And inevitably, when you are responsible for content and creative, on occasion, something is going to go out with an error in it. <laughs> You know, on occasion, on, on, <laughs> for, but very rare for me, it's a bit more occasionally. Right. <laughs> and I think that um, I've had instances in the past. You know, I, I worked in email marketing, and um, you know, an, an email goes out with the with the subject line that's got a typo oh, in it, no. um, oh, no. and it goes out to a huge audience. And Ugh. I think what I've learned from those experiences is that actually it happens. Like it's called mm. an error for a reason, and I think mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, all technology and algorithms and all these computer programs, like everything is, is brilliant. But I, Jess and I are both such big believers in the sort of like creative magic that comes from human beings. And I think that almost like what I learned from any time that anything's gone out with a typo in it, um, mm-hmm. is that, do you know what? I, I just need to not attach too much meaning. And I think... Sure done is better than perfect is my methodology and whether that's right or wrong I don't know but it's it's given me the kind of freedom to actually yeah. go for it rather than make be mistakes so that's in. it exactly yeah right right will forgive you if you say sorry <laughs> by the way MailChimp have captured that moment perfectly before you press the button to send to your entire database of 10,000 people, they have this, they have the monkey finger on the button that's shaking and sweating Yes, (laughs) because they've captured that moment perfectly. Yeah. We all, we all feel that. Yeah. Have I made a mistake? Uh, Really interesting. Um, Have, have you got one for us, uh, Jess? Uh, Yeah, I do actually because it's you've just asked me about the Wackle Future Leader Award I actually applied for that a few years ago and didn't get shortlisted Hmm. and that is as Nat knows I do not take failure very well (laughs) I I get my dummy out I'm like why am I not good enough um but actually what is good about me is that if I don't win first time round I will be so driven to mm. make sure I succeed that next time round. And Great. when I look back now, I, I realise where I went wrong and um, I learned mm. from it. I got back up again and I pushed forward and now I am a wackle future leader. So. Congratulations. <laughs> and it feels even sweeter now, doesn't it? Oh, it it does. feels even sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the books question. Tell us about some of your favourite books, whether they be business related, marketing related, fiction, non-fiction whatever i think 100 percent. look outside of just marketing literature there are some mm-hmm. incredible people doing amazing things but where you can bring a real difference and shine is picking up from loads of different creative sources um mm. from inspirational leaders how teams work um and just just looking at kind of anthropology um sociology mm economics um i've recently read a book by rutger bergman which is called humankind a hopeful history mm-hmm. and honestly pick up that book it's incredible really? um and it's all about how actually human beings are innately good people and mm. we need to just cast aside this veneer theory of that everyone deep down is just selfish and just willing to mm. grab from each other he's like actually let's let's un- let's unpick that and I think especially in this day and age where it's easy to just be like oh god the world is a mess we Mm. need hope 
And secondly, mm. Michelle Obama's becoming is mm. brilliant. Absolutely incredible. Mm. And and again, brilliant. what Nat was saying earlier, we need to read stories that are mm. outside of kind of our own experience and and it's it's just so inspiring to have role models like Michelle in the world and, and hear her story and hear her challenges mm. and how she's overcome that. Um, mm. So, yeah, those are two that feel quite topical for now as great, well. Great recommendations. Fantastic recommendations. Any any from you? Absolutely, Nat? yeah. I, um, I'm a big reader and I always have been. And I think that um, I completely agree with Jess about reading beyond, you know, mm. business books if you're setting up a business or marketing books if you're trying to, you know, do really good marketing. Um, because... Actually, I read for pleasure and I did get to a point where I was kind of so consumed by going, well, if I've got time to read, I should be reading this top mm. 10 books on the list of marketing, whatever. Um, mm. And I really took a step back from that. And as Jess mentioned earlier, I, I am a poet as well as um, what we do with the business. And I, I really believe that as marketers and as storytellers, poetry is a really incredible way of um, communicating. It's a, dist uh, a distilled concentrated series of words that give you a feeling and, and you know um provoke an emotional reaction um mm -hmm. so poets like joelle taylor um selena godden holly mcneish uh charlie cox uh people like that i think mm. you know actually reading poetry and listening to poetry it it helps me to think about telling a particular story in a particular way in a totally um different way than maybe usually you know how it usually gets approached mm -hmm. um, so I'm a really big uh big big poetry fan um and then in terms of uh non-fiction there's a book called Invisible Women by uh Caroline yes. Criado Perez and yeah I, great book I am obsessed with that book <laughs> I feel like I bought it for so yeah. many of my friends oh really because <laughs> yeah, I think great it, book. it really when, when we've been talking for so many years about, um, you know, gender discrimination and gender equality, like the examples in that book and how it goes through what data is collected to, to create assumptions mm. about the world we live in, mm -hmm. and actually the lack of data that's being collected um, in areas that we really don't know about, it, it really just kind of goes through all of those examples and gives really yeah. great real world um, of, like, examples. Great examples of unconscious bias. Yeah. Um, so many of that in, in that book around the iPhone, how the iPhone was built for a male hand, which is yeah. sort of, uh, you know, bigger than a female, uh, you know, a, a, a woman's hand. And just that unconscious bias that is built into so many of the products that we interact with every single day. Mm. Um, it's a great example to show where actually the, the hidden issues are that we need to address. Um, great book. Um, what do you both do to keep mentally and physically fit? Oh gosh, well this this, <laughs> this one is so important, and I mean, especially during the last three months, right? It's mm. um, we've really had to change things up, but it just goes back to that kind of physical um, and mental well-being from a physical perspective. Like I do Pilates or yoga every day because you're sat at a desk. I haven't got the proper setup, you know, the office chair that's been you know put to the correct height and all the kind of um computer setup so I'm really aware that um having to look after your body is really important um and in terms of like mental well-being it's just that self-care just taking that time away from technology so I try and do digital detoxes like most weekends where I just put away my phone and laptop because it's easy to just actually either work 24 7 or just be on social media and mm. actually you need to step away and kind of really give yourself some sort of time to like spend with your partner or friends mm -hmm. other people cook mm. nature mm -hmm. That's it. just get out anything else <laughs> anything <laughs> <Right>. else <laughs> yeah great uh jess Oh, that yeah. was me. Sorry, Nat, Nat, Nat. sorry. See, that's Very Yes, to be honest. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm a big fan of yoga. I um, I've just started running in lockdown because I used to go to a lot of spin classes, and obviously I can't do that. So 
I started <laughs> running, which um, I mean, the the jury's out on that one. I think at the moment, but it's <laughs> me and it's outside, so I'll I'll, yeah. I'll go with it for now. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of yeah, mental well being, I think. What Jess was saying about the digital detox, I'm I'm so on board with that as well. I think that mm. I, I I heard on another podcast um, a really interesting point around, especially during the pandemic, um, you're not on call. You know that feeling that you need to be attached to your phone all the time, and you need sure. to, be able to be responding to WhatsApps and calls and be on Zoom calls mm. and things like that. Like you're not actually on call. Like if you want to take like 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever that is away from your phone you can, you need mm. to give yourself permission to do that because it's not your job to be on social media well obviously some people's job is to be on social media <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. from a kind of social capacity I think that um I really really get like burnout from my phone and burnout sure. from um from particularly being on zoom calls at the moment sure. zoom quizzes um so yeah just kind of taking that time away and and I'm I'm actually very strict around um I don't have email notifications on my phone. Uh, so if I go onto my email app, I, I can get them. They're there. But I ha- don't have email notifications because um, uh. it means that during the evenings or the weekends or on days where I'm like, no, there's a boundary here. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of office because yeah. we're always out of office because we work remotely. You know, <laughs> I think you do have to create these sure. um, structures in, in, in your own working week so that if something pops into the email inbox, like I genuinely won't see it until the next day. And that mm. just helps because then I'm just going to be stressing about it and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely love it. L- last couple of questions and, and then I'll let you guys go. Uh, what advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in the agency world or indeed start a, an agency or a marketing consultancy? Um, start doing would be the first one. Um young people are going to be hit tremendously hard by this pandemic and I really feel for them especially coming out of education with these huge student debts and it's going to be tough out there so what is brilliant is that the internet affords you opportunities to branch out on your own or you know start working on projects yourself um there's so many different tools for that are free for like learning and educating yourself about how the agency world or creative work works so I would you know recommend to anyone that, that they can definitely start doing and sort of building a portfolio almost before they push forward mm. and secondly mm. the world is changing right um one of the most brilliant women we work with is fresh out of university never went into agencies and has mm. set up her own consultancy and she's one of the most talented people that we've ever worked with. Um, really hardworking, driven, and actually is going, the status quo doesn't work for me to, to head into London, actually. She lives in Norwich. I'm going to mm. stay here, set up my own studio, and learn mm. remotely from people. So Love it. lots of different options there. Mm. Brilliant. Uh, and Nat? Um, I would say, actually, think about mentorship. Um, so that's something that both both ways has greatly benefited Jess and I over the years where we've we've had brilliant mentors and we've also um, mentored um, people as well. And I think that when you are kind of starting out, learning from someone who is um, in the biz- is in the business or in the industry that you want to get into is is really invaluable. And I think that there's ways of, of approaching how you could get a mentor. There's amazing um, schemes. Um, we we were part of a, a mentoring scheme um, that was set up by She Says. Um, mm. Well, actually, if you admire someone and there's someone in, in your industry that you really kind of feel is doing great things, then build a kind of genuine relationship with that person you know follow them on social media interact with what they're saying don't mm. just obviously jump straight in and, and send a cold email and go hey do you <laughs> um, but I think, give me yeah, your time exactly exactly because it is, it is you know valuable time and the the benefits that you can get from that are mm. absolutely um, immeasurable but i think that if you you know if you identify someone who you think would be really um, useful to to have an interaction with or a conversation with, you know, take some time and and build an authentic um, engagement with that person. You know, share what they what they write or um, comment on on what they they talk about, and um, mm. you know, try and try and build it from there. Because I think that yeah, the, the 
the benefits that I've had in terms of not just practical skills, but really in terms of confidence. I think mm. my, the main thing my mentor used to do to me when I would meet her is go, you're doing good. Like she'd be like, stop mm. freaking out. Like you're doing oh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's really important. Yeah, it really is. Cause I think that when, acknowledgement. when you're running mm. your own business, there's no one, you're not part of a structured um, lonely at the top. employee development <laughs> yeah. program where you go, well, right. if I do these three things then I'm going to get a pay rise next month and sure. I'm going to get a pat on the back from my manager. So I think seeking <laughs> out people who can kind of listen to what you are doing and, and sort of put it into context in the wider framework of, yeah. of what, you know, the working world is, is a really, really useful thing. Great advice. And, and my final question, guys, what is it you know about growing an agency and a communication consultancy today that you wish you knew when you first started either your marketing career or at the agency as a whole? Nobody knows what they're doing. And, <laughs> and everyone, is, everyone is making it up. Yeah. And, and the smarter, more complicated you sound, the less you actually know. Hmm. I'm sorry, but I, I think that that's nailed it. That's exactly Absolutely what I right. <laughs> You have nothing to add. <laughs> be, be, beware, beware of anyone that you just don't understand what they're saying. Because it, it literally, usually, yeah. is just them they're making trying, it up. Um, right. So. They're trying to confuse you. Yeah. Look over here, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you can communicate really simply and effectively, then I think sure. that, you know, that that's a really smart, way of doing things so yeah just just don't make it up but just you know realize that yeah. anything's genuinely as possible um yeah and that everyone has that imposter syndrome and sits there going gosh mm. am i doing this am i good enough <laughs> yeah absolutely great advice guys thank you so much for doing this thank oh, you, thank you. Loved yeah we've loved it thank you we have been speaking with Natalie Moores and Jessica McIntyre, the founders of Mac and More. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts, where you can listen to 82 such conversations we've had now with world-class sales and marketing leaders. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com. Head over to iTunes and give us a review. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Mageki is our booker slash project manager. Marian Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. And we're done. Woo! <laughs> oh, yeah.